Amen. Amen. Before I bring our reading this morning, which comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, starting at verse 18, um, allow me just to lead you in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we come to this time when we spend some moments in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts right to the core. We thank you, Lord, that your word has something to say to us specifically today. And we say to you, Lord, come, speak. We, your people, are attentive and awaiting. May your word be clear. And may the clarity help us in our response. And Father, I want to say thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you release resources to your church. Thank you, Lord, for the way that your people have continued to sustain their support with their tithes and offerings. And we want to say, Lord, we want to honor you with the way that we utilize the resources that you give to us. So, Father, will you bless the finances of your church as you bless those who have sacrificially given. Today, as we look at your word, we recognize there is a call upon our resources to be uh, offered to you as a sacrifice. May your word line up with our actions for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is Luke chapter 18, verse 18, verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he replied. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Then Peter said to him, we have left all we have had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So how do you know? How do you know that you are a follower of Christ. How do you know that you are, well, let's even put it in the most simple terms. How do I know that I am a Christian? How do I know that I am, here's the word, saved? And what I've done is I've just looked at this text that we're using as um, a journey through encounters with Jesus. As we encounter Jesus, 
we can see what he says, what he does, how he interacts with people. And as a follower of him, we would see how we are meant to respond ourselves. And here is a situation where there is a challenge being placed before Jesus. And we're just seeing, okay, how is this going to work out? How is this test going to come to fruition? How do I know that I am his, that I am a follower. I have a kit at home. This is a picture of the kit that I have at home at this moment in time. And uh, as a member of the um, chaplaincy team working up at the hospital, um, I now have to do a home COVID test twice a week to check that I am negative. The thing about it is, is once you've done the testing bits and, and place this swab thing um, further up your nose than uh, anything really should go, and you've done all the chemical bits and you've put your dropper on the, the tester, you have to wait for half an hour. And after half an hour, you come to know whether you are uh, positive and, or negative. And it's one of those strange things, isn't it, that normally we want positive results. I, I, want to, I want to hear that I've been good. I want to know that I've passed. I want to know that uh, something affirmative is happening. Yet in this situation, as with other more difficult situations, the desire that we have is that we would be negative. But how do I test out? How do I test to see whether I am positive in my relationship with God, that I am a child of his, that I am walking the way that I'm meant to be walking as a Christian? You can't stick something up your nose to check whether you are one of Jesus's or not. But just looking at these words of, of uh, Luke 18, we can start to see something about... Um, a challenge to us to see whether we are on the right path. It all starts with an inquiry. Well, it, it all starts with um, a situation where we recognize there is a passionate humility. I've started each one of these as a, uh, a beginning with a letter P. So we start with uh, passionate humility. The text that we're looking at is, is brilliant, actually, because it's repeated in, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 10. It's repeated in, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 19, and here in Luke chapter 18. But in Mark's Gospel, I, I love the way it starts, because it says that a, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. This rich young man, or this rich young ruler finds himself rushing towards Jesus and in rushing towards Jesus he falls at his feet maybe he even um, grabbed hold of Jesus's legs and, and held on to him and in holding on to him he asks a question well the question he asks is very simple he says a uh, good teacher so he knows that he is a a teacher he knows that he is a uh, to be respected and, and to be honored. He knows that he's the right person to ask, and he knows the way that he should be positioning himself. I come on my knees into your presence. That's the way that he responded. I don't know how you came to Jesus. Each one of us has a, a testimony of how we came to have a relationship with God Almighty through Christ. 
Some are, are quite dramatic through difficult circumstances and situations we found that God met with us. Some find themselves almost like, it feels like osmosis. It just seemed to happen. I was brought up in a Christian atmosphere, in a Christian home, and, and church, and God, and Jesus was in my life. And then there was a revelation moment that I realized that I needed to call upon the name of the Lord for myself. Whether it's dramatic or whether it's less dramatic and seems a bit too normal, each encounter is special and precious and valuable because it's an encounter with God himself. Some came to him on their knees, recognizing who he is. And others come to him through different circumstances and situations and don't even know that they are encountering God. But then he meets them. For this young man, he comes. He's a ruler. He's one of authority. He's part of the synagogue. He's one who has esteem and is recognized as one of noble character. And he comes and places himself at the feet of Jesus. And then there's this next port part. It's the, the, the problematical inquiry I have placed it as. This ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Oh, and there's the problem. There's the problem. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? You see, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do. And there's that challenge that we find in Scripture there. He asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But you see, the thing about inheritance is that inheritance is a gift. It's something that is just given to you. The right person with the right lineage, the right connections, the right relationships, and you inherit and normally, inheritance is all about receiving that which somebody has left when they have passed. I love the way that he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And even without knowing it, he is aware, I suppose in a sense, that all that he's going to get will be a gift that he receives when Christ dies. And when he dies, we all inherit it. Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, it says that uh, you are also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The, I love it. Verse 13 of Ephesians 1, he says, you are included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. It's where it starts. We hear the word of truth and we're going to respond to the word of truth. And having heard the word of truth, then we have believed. And one of the things about believing is the fact that it's not just that we believe something in our heads or in our hearts, but that belief is transformed into action. Ephesians 2 
this message goes on. It says that, for it is by grace, this is in verse um, 8 of Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works, we are saved to work. That's a different way of looking at things. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you can't do anything. The inheritance is a gift. God has given you this gift of eternal life. He has done everything. And it's a gift that we receive because he gave everything. And Paul reminds us that we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit and we're waiting for that call into God's presence when he comes again. We can't work for it. We've just got to receive it. Which leads me on to that uh, perfect confession. Uh, there's this uh, start, I, I suppose, where, where, where Jesus uh, starts to unpack what does it mean to be a follower of his. And there's a, a list of commandments. Uh, don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And this perfect confession comes from this young man who says, all these I have done since I was a boy. And you know what? And we read that and we think to ourselves, no way. But actually, yes way. Maybe he has. Maybe the environment in which he lived, that he was able to grow up as a, a respected young man, a leader in the synagogue. Maybe he was uh, the expert in the law. Maybe he learned the Torah better than anybody else. Maybe he was one who could honestly say, I have done exactly what it says here. I then question myself and ask myself, how much do I do to... Uh, align myself with God's call. How committed and convicted am I by God's word that I would be able to turn around and say, I follow it. I do what the Lord has called me to do. There's this perfect confession. He says, I've done it. There's nothing else more I can say. And I like the way that there's that piercing insight that comes from Jesus. This is the next point here. You know, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So when he makes his confession of, I've fulfilled all of these uh, parts of the law that you've asked, Jesus doesn't say to him, no, you haven't. He then says, okay, but there's one thing missing. You lack one thing. Sell everything that you have. And I suppose at this point in time, this young man is recognizing that... The cost of discipleship is far greater than he'd ever anticipated. Sell everything. 
not some things, not just have a bit of a boot sale and clear out the rubbish. This is sell everything, give away everything. Then come and follow me. In a way, Jesus is saying, you need to die. We know that because in Galatians 2.20 it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul recognizes that a life lived for Christ is a life of dying. One of the situations for those who were watching this scenario being acted out before them as this young man is, is uh, questioning Jesus is they recognize that this one has, has wealth, esteem. He is uh, held up in society as, as one who was showing everybody what it means to be a, a follower of the Lord. You see, because uh, riches, prosperity was a, a recognition of God's blessing. And people are looking at this guy and saying, you're blessed. And then Jesus is saying, give it away. Give it away. We need to die. And this is the insight that Jesus brings that you may have everything, but you've got to give that away because the everything needs to be me. When Jesus first started to discuss this young man's situation, he directed him to the latter part of the Ten Commandments. He do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Now what he does in the way that he speaks is directs this young man to the first part of the Ten Commandments. They say this in, in uh, Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Has he made himself an idol? Does he have a God? Well, maybe he does. Maybe his finances have become his God. Maybe his resources and the uh, opulence of his living have become his God. And the piercing insight of Jesus puts his finger on it. And as he says these words, this young man recognizes he may have fulfilled the latter part of the law, but he was falling short on the first part. Puts him in a pitiful position. My penultimate point. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He was unhappy. He didn't want, I suppose, to give up what he'd accumulated. Which brings us to that point of asking ourselves, what am I holding on to that I should be releasing to the Lord? What have I decided that has got priority over my life above my commitment to follow Christ? It's okay to believe. It's okay to have faith. But the thing about it is, is there needs to be some outworking. We need to see some fruit. 
And when we're invited to follow Christ, the fruit is that he becomes our Lord. I love the way that Jesus just uses the scriptures to expose the enormity of the problem. And as we spend time in God's word, that's how he hones us and sharpens us and molds us and shapes us to be more like Christ. He became very sad. Don't be sad about the stuff that we can't keep. We need to put that to one side. And we need to be joyful in the one who is eternal. And that is only Jesus. We can lose the stuff that we might gain a deeper relationship with the one. Change was expected. This is what comes out of this text, is change is expected. And there lies the promise that comes. Because there's a question, how can we inherit eternal life? How do we walk in our relationship with you? Jesus goes on and uh, shares with those who are gathered there that, that this is the way it happens. Come, give of yourself. And then you will store up treasure in, her- in heaven. There's that little line, isn't there, you know, with regard to how difficult it is for uh, a rich man to get into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you can spend time looking into that phrase. And there are loads of different analogies uh, that talk about a a needle gate on the outside of the city wall that at night when the main gates of the city are closed, if any traders arrive late, they would have to strip down their animals to go through this tiny gate. Therefore, the removing of all the stuff off the animal and then it was able to go through. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Take off all of this stuff and then you get the camel through. But actually, I think Jesus is just saying, camel, large, humpy thing, eye of a needle, tiny, little needle. It's easier for that to get through this. It's hard. But what is impossible with man is possible with God because God does the saving God does the calling God does the stuff that we can't do how good is our God one of the encouraging texts that we come to when we read Luke's story of the rich young man is the fact that Chapter 18 goes into chapter 19. And in chapter 19, we meet a gentleman. He was only a small guy, and his name was Zacchaeus. And Jesus is on the road into uh, Jericho. And this little guy finds himself uh, excited about encountering Jesus. And in his excitement, he ends up climbing a tree. And then climbing up that tree, Jesus notices him and speaks to him and says to him, I want you to come down from that tree because today I'm going to eat in your house. Then listen to what it says here. In verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He's got a lot of money. 
there's this encounter at the house and Jesus is there and they're eating together and then something happens to Zacchaeus that is totally unexpected. Come down immediately, Jesus says to him, out of this tree, come home, we go home. But Zacchaeus at the meal, this is in verse 8, but Zacchaeus at the meal stands up and says to the Lord, look Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. I love the fact that here we see, following chapter 18, going to chapter 19, we see the outworking of exactly what Jesus is talking about. Riches are a resource and a sign of an encounter with our living God is that we give back our resources to him. And Zacchaeus is the illustration for the previous chapter. A rich man encounters Jesus, and in that encounter, he reprioritizes everything in his life and gives honor to God with how he uses his resources. Can I just ask today, your encounter with Jesus, has that brought you to that place of reassessing your resources and how you use them? And that is a sign to the world around you that you know a living Savior. For Zacchaeus, all of those were able to see that God had come into his house by the way his actions and attitude changed. And how about you? Do people know that you are in relationship with the living God by the way that you use the resources that he's given to you? What an amazing witness. And this is the challenge of our text today, that we would live out exactly what we believe, that a world around us may see and be drawn to the Savior that we know and love. Let me lead you in prayer. So, Father, we may feel that we have so little, yet in reality we have so much. Today, Lord, we want you, by your Holy Spirit, to redirect our use of our resources that they might be tools in your hands that make an impact in our community, if not the nations, that others might come to know that you are Lord of all. Convict us, guide us, bless us, we pray, as we hand over everything to you for your glory. Amen.